Well, as Pastor Jay kind of teed up this series for us this morning, um, we're starting a, a new series called Why Hope? And uh, we're going to dig into that. You know, there's one thing, there's one thing that we all have in common, and that is we fear the unknown. We do not like the unknown. You know, it's, whether it's a medical test, you go in and you have that blood work and you're waiting for that test to come back because the doctor said, oh, there's some irregularities here. We're fearing that unknown, waiting for those test results to come back. Maybe you're a college graduate or a high school graduate and you are waiting for that ACT or SAT score to come back. Or, you know, a junior, you're like, oh, did I get the score that I need? Or as a couple of months ago when you're sending out all those college applications, like, am I going to get accepted into this college? And you're like, you're on pins and needles knowing that, oh, my future is going to be impacted by whether I get accepted or not. Or maybe when you're younger, you're trying to make the JV basketball or soccer team, and you're like, oh, did I make the team? And as you're walking up to the basketball coach's door, you're looking to see the names posted on the door to see if you made the team. We hate that unknown. Or as we get older, you go to that job interview and you interview, and you think, man, I did so good. And you're waiting day after day after day for that, that uh, employer to call you back. We, we just hate the unknown. We, we hate the waiting. These life questions, they keep some of us up at night, don't they? Sometimes we have a difficult time sleeping. We all like to know what the future will hold. You know, as my kids have, have grown older, they're constantly asking questions like, where are we going to go to eat tonight? Just hang on, let mommy and daddy like get through our day. Like, can I just like get through my work day? I haven't even thought two thoughts about where we're going to eat tonight. Or do we have any plans this weekend and it's Wednesday? I got three more work days to get through to even start thinking about the weekend. You know, even kids. <laughs> They want to know what the future holds. They have a desire to know what lies ahead. So when is the last time you wondered what happens after this life? When's the last time you thought about that? Is this life all that there is? Or is there something after life? Or do we just cease to exist? Are you even concerned about life after death? We're going to spend the next several weeks talking about this very topic and what is God's plan of redemptive history for this world. And God tells us in the Bible what is going to happen in the future. He's very clear about that. And we're going to talk about why we can trust that and why we know it to be true this morning. You know, there are many pastors that will preach on how current events fit into prophecy. They'll look at, you know, sickness and wars and all of these other things and point to it. You know, that's not my intent. And that's not what I'm going to do. It's as your pastor, it's not my job to speculate on the future. When I stand up here before you, it's my job as your pastor to say the Bible says. This is what the Bible says, and that's what we will stick to throughout this series. So let me tell you why this topic is important. It's important because what you believe about tomorrow impacts 
how we live our lives today. What you believe about tomorrow impacts how we live our lives today. And so you're, as you're going to see throughout this series, we have a hope for tomorrow. We do. We have a hope for tomorrow, and that hope for tomorrow gets us through today. Let me define for you what biblical hope is, because I think today the way we define hope is differently than the, what the Bible looks at hope. So biblical hope is a confident expectation or assurance based upon a sure foundation for which we wait with joy and full confidence. Read it again. Biblical hope is a confident expectation or assurance based on a sure foundation. What is our sure foundation that we base this off of? We're going to peel this back more. God's word. This is our sure foundation because it's found to be true time and time again throughout history, throughout archaeology, throughout the writings of historical writers, all point back to the Bible being 100% true. So we have a sure foundation for which we wait with joy because we know our God wins in the end and confidence in that. In other words, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. So we're going to dig in to the book of Revelation and approach this book not from an apocalyptic view, but from a view allowing the book to display the glory of Christ and the hope that we have in him. Because this book is about Jesus. And John starts out this book, we're going to give you a little bit of history here. He starts out this book in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And essentially, you know, the question as you read this is, do you want a blessing? Do you want a blessing? Here's the formula for a blessing beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. What did God say? How do you get a blessing? How do you receive a blessing? By reading this book. The book of Revelation is often ignored, sometimes debated, sometimes discounted, but God said this book is a blessing book. If you want a blessing, God says, here it is. Read it. Heed it. And you'll have a blessing. Why will you have a blessing? Because it, what we know about tomorrow impacts our life, how we live our life today. I'm going to give you a little introduction. We're going to lay some groundwork this morning for the rest of our time in this book in the coming weeks as we look at these first three verses. And I want you to see what's going on and what we're going to call the central person of this book. And I've kind of already revealed that in Revelation chapter 1. It says the very first words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's telling you this whole book, it's about Jesus. It's about him. It's about Christ. So many people want to study prophecy, and they're more concerned about the things that are going to happen 
than the one who is going to come. I'm going to say it again. So many people are concerned when they study prophecy about the things that are going to happen in the future than the one, Jesus Christ, who is going to come. And that is the focus of this book, is the return of Christ. That's going to be the focus throughout this series. So many pastors get bogged down in the apocalyptic events and completely miss the story that is so vital, not to just this book, but the whole arc of God's redemptive history for the world, and that is the Christ who is to come. So the book of Revelation is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see Jesus Christ in a different way than what we've seen him before. We're going to see him in a different way than what we see him every year at Christmas, Differently than what we just looked at in our famous last word series. We're going to see him differently. When he came the first time, born into this world, through the portal of a virgin's womb, laid in a feeding trough in a stable, with flies buzzing around, cow manure on the floor. His earthly stepfather, Joseph, was a carpenter. His mother, a Jewish peasant. All of his glory was hidden behind this veil. But in the book of Revelation that veil is pulled back and we can see the glory of Christ. The first time he came to redeem, when he comes again, he's coming to reign. He came to a crucifixion the first time, he's coming to a coronation the second time. He came to a tree on a cross the first time, friend, he's coming to a throne the second time. He came the first time as a servant And the book of Revelation shows him coming as the sovereign, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords. John says it in the first few words. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the central person of this book. So now that we know who the central person is of this book, what is the clear purpose of this book? If you look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 again, it says, To show to his servants the things that soon must take place. Look at the word servant in this. The Greek word for servant, and we talked about this before, is a word doulos in the Greek, which literally means bond slave. And a bond slave in first century Roman Empire, a bond slave was somebody who had been a slave, but who had been set free. They had been set free, either they had worked for their freedom or their master had set them free, and they willingly went back to their master and said, I do not want to be free. I want to be your slave. I want to stay with you. I love you, my master, because of the way that you treat me. And John uses these, this word here, this doulos, as slaves to describe our relationship with Jesus. You see, we were in bondage to sin. And Jesus came, paid the debt, paid our penalty, releasing us from any bondage of sin. And now we are slaves to Christ. Slaves to Christ. And I ask you today, as you think about your life, would you categorize your life as a slave to Jesus Christ? And be be careful how you answer that because I can promise you, 
if you do not look at yourself as a committed bond servant, as John would say here in this book, to Christ, you will have a difficulty understanding the book of Revelation. It is a book written to the bond slaves of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a bond slave of Jesus Christ, you are going to struggle to understand the mystery of this book. And it is a revelation of Jesus Christ to his servants. We live in a world that is cursed with sin and suffering, the pain, the moaning and groaning and death and destructions, tears and tribulation. That is the world that we look in, live in today. You flip on the news, you flip on local news in Orlando, and what is one story after another? Murder, robbery, this, that. It's just, you know, Rachel and I stopped watching the news a decade ago just because it was just discouraging of everything that's happening in our world. And what do we as believers say to that? What do we say? What do you say to a father who's standing beside the grave of a young wife holding the hands of his children? What do you say to a mother whose baby has been torn by death from her? What do you say in those situations? We as believers can say that this life is not it. We have a hope for tomorrow. We have a hope. This is not God's final plan. It, sometimes that doesn't help in the moment in the suffering, but it helps make sense of our suffering. We still hurt. Our hearts are still in pain. But knowing that this world is not God's final plan helps it make sense. And that's the reason it's such a blessing when you read the book of Revelation. It gives you stability. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in James chapter 5, verse 8, he said, Be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The only way that you can be stable in this age is to know that there is a blessed hope, and that blessed hope is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will soon return. He will soon return. Years ago, there used to be a man who walked a tightrope as a circus act, and he would get on this tightrope at these dizzying high heights, with no safety net, his name was Blondin. And Blondin would, would walk that tightrope, and somebody asked, how do you do that? Doesn't it frighten you when you look down? Don't you get nervous when you walk that tightrope? And he said, listen, here's what I do. I don't look down. He said, you see over there on the other side of the tightrope on the pole, there is a silver star. And as I'm walking across the tightrope, I focus my attention on that silver star, and I don't take my eyes off of that star until I reach it. The way that John is going to describe in this book for 
the bondservants of Jesus Christ is that we are to keep our minds focused on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we're to do. And what happens when we keep our focus solely on Christ coming back, it gives us stability. It gives us stability and it makes sense of this world. I want you to notice again the certain prophecy of this book. Look in verse 3 in Revelation 1. It said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The time is at hand. Now this is John writing almost 2,000 years ago, and John said, hey, the time is at hand. Now was John wrong? No, he was right. And if you don't learn anything from, else from this series, I want you to learn this. The time is always at hand. It may not be immediate, but it's imminent. It may not be immediate, but it is imminent. People are saying, are these the last days, Pastor? I get asked that question quite often. The last days began when Jesus ascended from this earth. They've always been the last days. We are living in the last days. His coming is very near. Now, some people have an idea that there are certain prophecies that have to be fulfilled before Jesus can come. That's not true. His coming is always imminent. Let me explain it this way to you. Let's say that the tile from which all of you are, have your feet touched, let's just say that's the ocean. And let's say that I live a thousand miles from the ocean and I am driving in my car and we're coming closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and finally I get to the ocean. Some people like to think of the Jesus coming back in no sense of the term. They like to think, okay, from there to here, that's about the 2,000 years, the 2,000 years of events that needed to take place. Going back to the coming of the Lord is not immediate, but it's imminent. I want you to think of it in these terms. Instead of thinking about it in that path, think about it in these terms. John is writing over here 2,000 years ago, the coming of the Lord is here. John's writing and saying the time of the Lord is at hand. And as he's writing down through human history, imminent could be this at any time. God could look at Jesus and say, go get my children and bring them home. At any time throughout history, it's imminent. It could happen. So we look at it when John was saying the time of the Lord is at hand, he was right. At any time... God could look and say, go get my kids, go get my children, and bring them home. We are right on the edge. We are right on the edge. We're walking along the seashore. We are living on the edge of eternity. From the time that Jesus came to the time he comes again, Consider that the edge of eternity. We are living on the edge. The time is at hand. So now we're going to, how are we going to understand the book of Revelation? Well, thank God there is a golden key to help us understand the book of Revelation that we're going to look at this morning. The Apostle John, he, you have to understand where he is at this point in his life. He's about a 90-year-old man. 
He is the last apostle alive at this point. He's been beaten. He's been boiled alive by the Romans to tell him to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would not stop. And so they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. It's like the Alcatraz of his day, where he was thrown out on this island. They figured if we can't shut him up, we're going to put him out where there is nobody. So he has nobody to talk to. So he can't tell anybody else about Jesus Christ. And when he's out on Patmos, this is when the angel of the Lord comes to John to give him this book of Revelation. The biggest blessing that ever came to this world was old John going to Patmos because it is there that God gave the book of Revelation. Verse, look at Revelation verse, chapter 1, verse 19. Here is the commission that God gave to John. Here was John's assignment. It's clear. He said, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Now, God is not trying to conceal. God's trying to reveal. He's trying to make plain to us what is going to happen in the future. He said, you have seen. He's telling John, what you see revealed to you by the angel in the vision that you had. He says, write it down. Write this down for the church. And he says, those that are. That is the church age. That is the age that we have been living in for the last 2,000 years. We call this the church age, where the church has spread throughout all of the known world. We have the church spreading. We're living in a time of the things which are. And John's going to write the next two chapters in the book of Revelation to churches of his day. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. These were literal churches in Asia Minor, which would be around the Turkey region of today, that were in existence during John's time. But what we find when you read those about those churches, they're very representative of the churches we find today. And then the rest of the book, he says, those that are to take place after this. That is the rest of the book of Revelation. John's going to tell us about him coming again. You know, Jesus coming again. There are a lot of soothsayers. There are a lot of prophets, prognosticators, and people today who think they know the future. We've had enough gullible people in America to keep thousands of people Thousands of astrologers working full-time trying to tell gullible people the future. As a matter of fact, you can pay so much an hour and have somebody across the nation tell you future thoughts that can help heal you. They will think that they are revealing to you hidden secrets about your love life, your career, your money, your luck, your marriage, your health, your future, your personal problems, and folks, it will only cost you $9.99 a minute. And I will tell you about your future. I mean, I can remember as a kid, you know, sometimes those late night infomercials, you'd have, you know, one of the people on TV telling you about, telling you about the future if you only called in. And I tell you, if you get wrapped up in that kind of garbage, it is occultish, 
devilish and hellish business. Why? Because only one person knows the future, and that is God Almighty. He is the only one who knows the future. If you're into astrology, if, if you have a, you know, astrology charts or books at home, go home and throw them in the garbage because that's exactly what they are. Just put them in the garbage, get them out of your house. You might say, well, I, I like to amuse myself with them. Well, I can tell you that God is not amused with them. It's junk. Get rid of it. Only God knows the future. You know, one of the great ways that we know the Bible is inspired, it's inerrant, and it's infallible, is that the Word of God is full of fulfilled prophecies. You see, what God has already fulfilled is enough of an indicator of the fact that he will fulfill the rest. Every single prophecy about Jesus Christ in his first coming was fulfilled to the T by the prophets of old. We can go back. We have writings prior to the coming of Jesus that predicted multiple aspects of his coming. There are dozens of prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled, every single one of them. You see that God, in his prophecies, is batting a thousand. He's never missed. And so if he has never missed on a prophecy, we can take it to the bank that the prophecies in Revelation will also be fulfilled. There was a mathematician named Peter Stoner who said just eight prophecies about Jesus, the coming of Jesus. You know, you take the, 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 the major ones, like he'd be born of a virgin, he'd be born in Bethlehem. Just, you know, these major prophecies that we know that we talk about every year when we preach around Christmas and Easter, anytime we're doing a series around them. He said, just take eight of those. Take eight of those prophecies, and someone getting eight for eight right. Now, we're talking, we've got dozens Eight for eight, right? He goes, that would be one in septillion. There you go. One in 24 zeros. He's saying it is a statistical improbability. He said the best way that I can know to describe to you getting eight for eight right would be to take the entire state of Texas, fill it up with quarters, knee high, mark an X on one of those quarters, throw it out there somewhere in the state, blindfold a man, drop him in the state, and tell him you got one chance to find the quarter with an X on it. It's just statistical improbability. It is absolutely impossible that these scriptures that have already been fulfilled could have been fulfilled by chance. Not only he takes eight of the scores, if you were to take all of scripture, Peter, Peter Stunner says there is no word. We do not have a word in the language, a number in the language that could tell you how improbable that is. Impossible that is. Now God says, I am the only one that knows the future. We are looking at things past, present things, and future things. And we're going to be looking at these things from the eyes of God. Not our guests, but what God Almighty says. So as we finish up this introduction this morning, what is the comforting promise of this book. What is so comforting for us about this book? I want you to notice the comforting promise of it. Look again in Revelation chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. 
says, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. What is comforting about this book is that you and I, as we read it, as we study it, as we hear it, as we internalize it, as we come to believe it, we will be blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. It doesn't mean if you hear it with your ear. Have you ever spoken to your child and say, go do this, and you, you know, whatever it is, and they just kind of sit there? What did I just say? What did I just say? You guys laugh because you guys know that's the way it is with every child. That's not the way that I want us to be with this series. Not only do I want us hearing I want you reading throughout the week, and I want you studying these words. So as we read this, we look at why are we going to be blessed? Well, number one, you're going to understand the mystery of history. Church, this world does not make sense apart from the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, we learn what is the mystery of history. What is God doing? God is moving all things, all things for his purpose. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. That's what it's all about. One of these days, this old war-torn world, this sin-saturated, sin-soaked, bumbling Stumbling society is going to see Jesus upon the throne. And the kingdoms of this world, who think they're so smart, the kingdoms of this world that think they're so powerful, they're so cunning, they're so wealthy, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read that in the book of Revelation, friend, that gives you a blessing and it gives you hope. It gives you hope for the future. You're going to hear us say this over and over again. Sorrow looks back. Worry looks around. But hope looks up. When you think about things in your past, loved ones you've lost, mistakes in your life, you look back at them with sorrow. When you look at all of the wickedness around the world, when you look at the news on TV, when you look at just everything that's happening, we have worry. Worry, what's going to happen to my kids? What kind of world are they going to grow up in? Who are they going to marry? You know, what kind of jobs are they going to have? Am I going to be able to put food on the table with inflation? All of this worry when we look around. But when we study the book of Revelation, hope looks up. We look up with hope. Remember what hope is. What is biblical hope? A confident assurance based on a sure foundation. What is our sure foundation? God's word. Because it's true. 
based on a sure foundation for which we wait with joy and confidence. Hope looks up. That confident hope impacts the way we live our lives today, knowing that this earthly life is not the end. This is not it. We live our lives today for eternity. The world is looking for hope. The world is looking for hope in all of the wrong places. That's why when you turn on any kind of news show, anything, you know, Dateline, Good Morning America, anything, you're going to constantly see segments on childhood depression, suicide, rise in drug usage. Why is that? It's because the world is looking for anything, anything that will give them a relief and a hope here on this earth. And it's going to be a losing endeavor every single time. The world is looking for hope that only God can provide. And that is a blessing for you and I that we know where our blessed hope is found. Let's pray.